Well, good morning, if we haven't met yet. My name's Hans. It is great to see you all here. Um, you will, uh, if you've got your Bible with you, please keep that open because we're looking at that passage that David just read out. I'm going to pray and then we'll jump in. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that as we look at your word uh, this morning, this passage which has got so much in it, that you would speak to us wherever we're at with you. For those of us who are figuring out where they're at with you, I pray that uh, you would make yourself clear to us. And for those of us who have followed you for years, I pray that once again, you would speak to us, challenge us, rebuke us, correct us, do whatever you need to do in our lives so that we would walk away from here knowing you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I remember uh, talking to a guy a number of years ago and I was talking to him about church and Christianity and religion and he's going, oh yeah, I don't really need religion anyway because I'm a good person. And I was like, I'm glad you're a good person. What do you think makes you a good person? And he said, well, uh, I guess I, I do the Ten Commandments. And I was like, oh, cool, you do the Ten Commandments. And I said, so can you name some of the Ten Commandments? And he, he looked puzzled for a while and thought, and he said, um, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. And I said, no, mate, look, I think that's Monty Python, uh, a bit different from the Bible. And uh, oh, we, we got in this conversation about how, you know, he thinks that the Bible is a, a book of laws, and God's all on about law, and I think that's a common perception. That there's this idea that God is out there, and He's going to say, "To shape up to me, you have to obey me." Here's my book of rules. Go and do it. And if you've got that perception of God, that's going to change the way you re- relate to Him in profound ways. And on the other hand, if you've got this idea that God doesn't really care about how we live, that is also going to shape the way you live and uh, relate to God. The reason I bring these questions up is that Romans 7 is actually all about God's law. Uh, God's law found in the Old Testament. And the question is, how does it function now? How does it relate to us now? If you call yourself a Christian, Jesus has died for you and forgiven you. And what the Bible says is that you've got a new relationship with God because of what Jesus has done alone. And so, therefore, well then, how do you relate to the law in the Old Testament? And maybe you're here and you're figuring out where you're at with Jesus. The question for you is this, what does God want from you? Does he want you to be hyper-religious in every way? When I was a kid, we called people like that Ned Flanders crossed with Rambo. You know, they were really religious and really aggressive. Is that what he wants from you? Or does he want something totally different? And so we're going to explore some of those questions as we look at this passage, which is all about the law in the Old Testament now. We're going to see three things as we look at this passage we are going to see the place of the law in our lives, the function of the law in our lives, and the reality of the law in our lives, the place of the law in our lives, the function of the law in our lives, and the reality of the law in our lives. Now, before we get into the passage, let me, for those of us who haven't uh, been listening to, to these sermons, or this is the first time you've come to church in a while, let me get you up to speed in the book of Romans. This is... Um, Historians have said this is the most influential letter that has ever been written. 
and I tend to agree, and we can have that conversation afterwards. But, but in chapters uh, from, from uh, 118, uh, chapter 1, verse 18, to uh, chapter 320, Paul has been saying, we've all blown it with God. We've all decided to run our own lives our own way. And in, in chapter 321 to 30, he says that God has come into our world in Jesus, and he died on the cross which fixed the relationship between us and God, the relationship that we broke, God fixed. In chapter 4, it looks at two heroes from the Old Testament, Abraham and David, and says that they were right with God only because of what, uh, only because of their faith. They didn't do anything to earn God's favour. No, they just had faith in God. And then from chapters 5 to 8, we look at the, the implications of, of the gospel in our lives, the hope that we have. And here's a question now that I'm sure if you're a first century Jew, you would have been asking, well, what, does the play, what is the place of the law in our lives? Well, let's have a look at verse uh, 1 of chapter 7. And let's look at the first point, the place of the law in our lives. Have a look. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as the person lives? For example, by law a married woman is bound to her husband as long as she is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relationship, relations with another man while her husband is alive, alive she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another. So him who raised from sorry, so him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit to God. Now, now do you see the illustration he's using? He's saying, just imagine a woman who's been married. If her husband dies, she is no longer married to him and she can get remarried. She's got a different status now. And he is saying, just like that, when Jesus died, you died with him. If you've got your faith in Jesus, you died when Jesus died. And when Jesus died, you died to the law, that old way of living. And so, you are now living a different way. You are living through the Spirit. Have a look at verse 5. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us, so that we bore the fruit of death. But now, by dying to what, dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. He is saying, if you follow Jesus, you died with him. So now you don't have a relationship with God mediated through the law. You're not going, well, what does God want me to do? No, he has sent his spirit into your lives. And so now you live by the spirit. Now, here's the thing. That changes everything. That changes how you relate to God. In the Old Testament... They heard the word of God. They heard what God had done and what God wanted from them. And they were trying to live to please him by obedience a lot of the time. And especially in Jesus' day, that's how a lot of people lived. But what Paul is saying, no, you live actually differently. Jesus has died for you, so you obey him. 
Jesus has sent his spirit into your life, therefore you obey. See, the gospel is not, I want to be accepted by God, so therefore I obey him. The gospel is, Jesus has died for me, and now because of that I am accepted by God. And therefore, because I am accepted, I obey God. It's totally different. It's totally different. It's a bit like this. I remember I had three teachers in high school. Actually, I have more than three, but I'll just tell you about three of them. The first one made it very, very clear to us that if, if we wanted a good standing with him and we wanted good marks, we should obey him. And so we obeyed because kind of out of obligation. We, we had another teacher that said, well, you know, that, that made it very clear that if you don't obey me, I'm going to explode. And so we obeyed out of fear. And then we had a, a teacher, an English teacher, we all loved her. And we obeyed because we loved her. So, see, a lot of people come to God and, and they obey because we think we're, we're obliged to. God has written his law out and therefore we are obliged to obey. And some of us go, well, I'm really scared of God because he might blow up. And so I'm going to obey him because I, I'm obeying out of fear. And yet what Paul and I think the gospel says is, no, those are wrong. You obey out of love for God. Yes, you take, you take what the Bible says about how to live very seriously. But your motivation for obedience to God is very, very different. You are not obeying God because you are scared of Him. You are not obeying God because you think you will be accepted. Now you obey God because he's put his spirit in your life and now you love him. That's you. And maybe you're, maybe you're figuring out where you're at with Jesus. Can I tell you this? Jesus does not want your obedience first. He wants your love. You could obey everything, everything in the Bible. And if your heart doesn't love Jesus... You've got it wrong. What, what you're meant to do is, is come to grips with the fact that Jesus loved you so much that he died for you. And out of that, you're meant to love him and out of that, you're meant to obey. Maybe you're here and you are a Christian. Why are you motivated to do the things that you do? Uh, do you read the Bible and go, well, it's there, so I've got to do it? Or do you... Or do you get up and are so blown away by what Jesus has done that you go, that's why I want to serve a church. That's why I want to do the things that I do. That's why I want to kill the sin that, is, that I'm fighting. That's why I want to obey because I've been so blown away by the gospel and I love Jesus. Why do you obey? See, if you get this question wrong, it changes the way you view God. If, if you're obeying God out of fear or out of obligation, God will seem like an ogre to you and he will crush you. But if you obey because he loved you first and you love him, God will be beautiful. What is your view of God today?
that's the place of the law in our lives. Let's have a look at the function of the law in our lives. Have a look at verse 7 with me. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin, sorry, what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Now, do you see what it's saying? It's saying what the law did, especially the law in the Old Testament did, it made us aware of sin. We wouldn't know what sin was unless it said, do not covet. And so what do we do? We find that when someone tells us not to do something, we go and do it. So the law says, hey, don't covet. And we're like, I want that, I want that, I want that. So it's a bit like this. This is a silly kind of example. A number of years ago, I was staying with a friend of mine, Ian Powell. He's a pastor. He was a pa- pastor at uh, Sabanus Broadway in the city. And uh, I was staying at his place overnight. We were going fishing in the morning and uh, getting up at 4 o'clock to go fishing, which is always a bad idea. But anyway, we went. And, um, and uh, I was sitting around the dining table, and he had, uh, he still does, but he had three girls living with him, uh, his three daughters there. And, and he lived in a two-story house. And on the second story was all the bedrooms. And the the guest bedroom was way out the back on the first story. And he said to me in front of his daughters, he said, Hands, let me tell you, um, you cannot go up to the second story because that's where my daughter's rooms are. And let me tell you, if you do, go up to the second story. If you put step one foot on you know, one of, the, uh, one of the stairs, I will be doing prison ministry from the inside. And I said, oh, okay, that's fine, Ian. And then I said to him, mate, look, can I just tell you something? I knew your daughters were up on the you know, second story, and that's okay, you know, they, they had their... And I didn't really think about going to the second story, but now that you've said that, all I want to do is go to the second story, right? And then his daughter said, see, Dad, it's a stupid rule. And then it all kind of blew up and I just kind of went, oh, I've got to go and do something, right? But, but do you see, see what happened? I didn't even want to do something until he said, don't do it, and I wanted to do it. And that's what Paul is saying. The law said, don't do this. And we were all like, oh, man, I want to do that now. So, see, see, the law is there to go, you, do you realize how sinful you are? And what is the result of this? Well, have a look at verse 9 with me. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. I found that, that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me and through the commandment put me to death. So the law, so then, the law is holy and the commandment is holy, righteous and good. So, see, what he's saying is that the progression is, we heard the law, it said don't cover, we did it. And because of that sin, death came into our lives. And so there is a sense in which the law 
just points out that we're sinful. It points out there's a brokenness between, there's a broken relationship between us and God. It's a bit like this. Over the last uh, few months, few years, because I've got a couple of boys, we have gone and had tons of x-rays. Just so many x-rays. And, you know, here's the problem with an x-ray. Like, you can have, like, 60 x-rays in a row, and it doesn't fix the problem. It just shows you that there's a break there. And the law is like an x-ray. It doesn't fix the problem. It just shows you that there, there is a break there. The law shows you that you are sinful, that I am sinful. And it points us to the Lord Jesus, who died to forgive us of our sin. And so you don't get into a right relationship. You don't fix the relationship with, between you and God by just trying to be better, by trying to be more holy, by trying to nail life. Now you fall at your feet and you say, the law has pointed out that I am broken, that I'm a sinful person. And Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I've got all this guilt and I need your forgiveness. That's the message of Christianity. The message of Christianity is not, hey, get up off your feet and be more moral. It's saying, guess what? You can't, but Jesus loves you and died for you anyway. And forgiveness is there. We in our modern world have a huge problem with guilt. We actually trade on guilt in the media more than anything. I'm not sure if you've looked on a social media or, or, even, or even the news. It seems like there are so many people around that we want to say, this person is morally wrong, they said this or they did this. And what do we do in our society? Well, a lot of the time we cancel people who break our society's laws, our, our society's unwritten laws, I would say. And there seems to be no forgiveness, even if you are remorseful, even if you are weighed down by guilt. There seems to be no forgiveness, no redemption. Uh, an author, he's an atheist, Douglas Murray, says this, We live in a world where actions can have consequences we could never have imagined, where guilt and shame are more at hand than ever, and where we have no means whatsoever of redemption. We do not know who could offer it, who could accept it, and whether it is a desirable quality compared to an endless cycle of fiery certainty certainty and denunciation. He's saying we need redemption. He'll go on to say we need forgiveness, but we don't know where to get it. See, so, so if you break the laws of our culture, you will get cancelled. Your life will be ruined potentially. But that's so different from Jesus because if you break Jesus' laws, he will say, come, I will forgive you. See, the law is there to point out how sinful we really are, but Jesus is there to say, guess what? I was the one who took your guilt and shame when I died on the cross. I am the one who forgives you. I dare say there's some people who are struggling with guilt in this room. Maybe it's because of some things that you did in the last week or something you did you know, in the past decade. It doesn't really matter, but you're struggling with guilt. Jesus is saying, come, I am the one who forgives you over 
and over and over again. I am the one who can release you from the crushing weight of your guilt. Yes, let let law point out that you are sinful, but don't stop there. Run to Jesus for forgiveness. And let's look at the last point. The reality of the law in our lives. Let's have a look at verse 14 with me. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but the sin living in me. For I know what good, sorry, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living me that does it. And you're probably going, Paul's extremely confused, isn't he? It's just like, what is he going on about? Like, he's, why he doesn't want to... But can I just say, isn't that you and me too? I mean, I mean, if we're really honest, we'd love to think that we've got our lives together and everything's ordered and everything... But we're just like Paul, because what Paul is saying is, like, I know that I should do all these good things, but actually I don't. I do the things that I know I shouldn't do. Just think of it with food. How many of us know that you're meant to have five servings of vegetables a day? That's the good that you should do. But who wants to eat broccoli when you can eat chocolate and ice cream, right? Because we know that we shouldn't be eating that as much as we do, but we do. Or am I just confessing my own sin here, right? See, what Paul is saying, even on a moral level, there's all these things that I know I should do, but actually I don't do them. But I find myself over and over and over again doing the things that I know are wrong and will make me ashamed. Those are the things I do. So, so you can read that and go, man, Paul is extremely confused, but to be honest, aren't we all? Don't we all struggle with that? Don't we all struggle with these things? And one of the things that you, that you read this, or you think about your own struggles, and you go, man, like, I thought as a Christian I would wake up one day and not struggle at all. When I first became a Christian, I just thought I would hit, you know, maybe two or three years down the road and I just wouldn't sin, I'd be perfect. And yet, the more I go on in life, the more Paul's struggle there is my struggle. Because I see this huge gap, the more I know about Jesus and the more I know God, the, there's, there's this, just this bigger gap that I see between the way I live and the holiness and the beauty of Jesus, that struggle becomes more and more real. Maybe you're here and you're struggling with something in your life. Maybe it is uh, you know, a sin that you can't kick. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's something. And you're probably thinking, well, Hans, if I was, if I was a, fo- a real follower of Jesus, I wouldn't be struggling. Can I just say that's just not true? The fact that you are struggling shows that your relationship with Jesus really matters. 
the fact that, that you may uh, one time go into this sin and then the next day be weeping with tears over that sin shows you the Spirit is moving in your life. Because it was, it's only through the Spirit that you can struggle. It is the person who looks at themselves and claims they are extremely holy that I'm deeply worried about. Because they actually don't understand what the Bible says about sin. You don't wake up one day as a Christian and go, oh, that sin is behind me now, I will never sin again. No, it's, it's an ongoing struggle. It is an ongoing struggle. The question is, are you struggling? But one of the things that, that for, for those of us who have been coming to church over the last couple of weeks, you probably are thinking, well, Tim preached on Romans 6 last week, and now you're preaching on Romans 7. Um, very astute observation there, I know. But in but in Paul, when Paul says in Romans 6 that you have died to sin, so sin doesn't reign in you any longer, how can he say that in Romans 6, that you've died to sin, so sin doesn't reign in you any longer? But in Romans 7, he says, guess what? I struggle with sin and you, you will too. Isn't that contradictory? No, because Romans 6 is talking about your standing before Jesus. Romans 7 is talking about the reality in your life. Or maybe a different way of talking about it is there's actually two ways of looking at you that are both right. That if you trust in Jesus today, you stand before Jesus totally forgiven and sin is dead to you. And yet the reality is that you and I struggle with sin. See, it's a bit like this. I don't know if you've ever flown into Sydney at night, but Sydney, our city, is a beautiful city. You see all the lights, you see the harbour bridge, you see it all, and you, it, it blows you away. And you just think, our city is a beautiful, beautiful city. But then if you, if you got off the, the, uh, the plane at night and you maybe went into King's Cross or maybe George Street, you would see the kind of bad parts of our city, the, the ugly parts of our city. So which one is true? Is our city really beautiful objectively or is it a bad city that we need to clean up? Well, isn't it both? Our city is beautiful and yet there are things that as a city we are working on cleaning up. And I think that's a sense in which that's the Christian life. You've got a new identity in Jesus. You are dead to sin, absolutely. Jesus has taken your sin, your guilt, your shame away. And yet, the reality on the ground is we still struggle with it. It's both and. So what should you do with this? Well, well the point is, live out your identity. Live out who you truly are. The Christian life is one of, yes, I've been forgiven and now I'm going to obey because I've been forgiven. I'm going to struggle. So it's a bit like this. One of my, one of my sons, Niels, he's six. He's hilarious. I love my, my kids. And uh, I forget what he did, but he, he did something wrong. And here's what I said. I said, you're a bad, bad boy. You shouldn't do this. Obey and then I'll love you. It's not what I said at all. 
my son is six and I think he's a Christian. Uh, he, he professes his faith in the Lord Jesus, so we treat him as a Christian. And so I sat down with him and I said, hey, hey, buddy, don't you realize, you know, you're a Christian. You love the Lord Jesus. And so because you love the Lord Jesus and because he's forgiven you, you know you shouldn't do that. And he said, yeah, but it's, but it's so hard. And I said, mate, look, it is hard to, to fight against sin, but that's what you do. Because you've been forgiven by Jesus, because he's given you his spirit, you're, and you are now, when God sees you, you are not a bad boy, you're a good boy. Therefore, you've got to work to live that out. That's your identity. And if you trust in the Lord Jesus, he sees you as absolutely perfect because of what he's done. So live that out. Keep struggling. Keep fighting. And when, and when you find that sin has taken over you, when in verse 24 you feel this, what a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death, when you feel like I am so, I've just done it again, I, am, I, I can't believe I've done that. Well, look at verse 25. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. When Satan reminds you of your sin, your guilt, and your shame, what do you do? You go back to the cross and you see there is the end of my sin, my guilt, my shame. There is forgiveness. There is love. There is the hope that I have because I follow Jesus. If you are figuring out where you're at with Jesus today, Guess what? Today, that offer of forgiveness is on the table for you. Are you going to take it? But for those of us who follow the Lord Jesus, the question is, are we going to live out our identity? Because the way we think about ourselves makes all the difference in the world. Last September, I started going to a new gym. I, I, I went to a CrossFit gym, and I still go there. I love the community there, and I can remember... Um, after a workout where I am on the ground, dripping in sweat, find it hard to breathe, trying not to throw up, I get up and my, my, uh, my coach says, well, you're a CrossFit athlete now. And I was like, I'm not an athlete. I came last. I can barely do a push-up. You know, I can not sit up. I've got all this flab. You know, I'm not an athlete because you're an athlete. Live it. And I was like, okay, fair enough, I better live it then. And then I said to him, why, like, what, why, why should I live it out? I don't feel like an athlete. And he said, if you consider yourself an athlete, a CrossFit athlete, everything changes. You, you won't go to the gym because you have to. You go to the gym because you're a CrossFit athlete and that's what you do. You, 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 won't, you won't have a struggle to eat healthy because that's... Eating healthy is what CrossFit athletes do. At night before you go to bed, you'll do your stretches because that's what CrossFit athletes do. You are a CrossFit athlete, go and do it. And so I went home and then I ate ice cream. And, uh, <laughs> but, but, but there's a sense in which it's true, isn't it? If you, if you view yourself in a certain way, your behavior will follow and your life will follow. What Romans 6 and 7 is saying this, 
follow the Lord Jesus, you and, and you will realize you are, you are dead to sin. So therefore, live your identity out. Jesus died to give you a new identity in Him. So therefore, live it out. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, I pray that those of us who are just struggling at the moment with sin, may we see that that struggle is because we follow you. For those of us who are coming here with guilt, with shame, Lord, as we put our lives in the light of your word and we just go, we don't measure up, help us to run to the Lord Jesus. Lord, for those of us who are figuring out where they're at with you, I pray that they come away knowing that they don't have to do more to be accepted. All they have to do is trust in you. And for those of us who do trust in you, help us to keep fighting. Help us to keep loving you. Help us to keep struggling and fighting against sin because you are the one that has saved us from that sin. Amen.